Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately, the podcast taking you through film awards season with the finest contenders, the best movie memories and the freshest recommendations. Oh, I'd have to go to a Billy Wilder set. The one I'd go to would be the apartment and I'd watch Billy coming in and giving them notes and I'd just get all teary-eyed. By making this film, raising awareness, we can have more conversations about having a review. My guests on this edition of the show are pushing for awards glory in animation and in documentary. They are Garth Jennings, the pop video maestro turned director and animator, now bringing us hit animated musical sequel, Sing 2. And I also spoke to BAFTA longlisted debut filmmaker Sonita Gale about her urgent and impactful documentary, Hostile. Awards do make unlikely bedfellows of us all. And we'll hear from Garth Jennings and Sunita Gale together at last after I tell you if I've seen any good films lately. I just got my votes in for the BAFTAs and had to catch up with a couple of films in order to be able to complete the set and therefore vote properly in the, the categories that I'm in for. One of them is Danish film Riders of Justice and it's a belter. It stars Mads Mikkelsen and much like last year's all-conquering foreign language film Another Round in which Mads starred, it's an exploration of wounded masculinity and I actually think that Riders of Justice is better. It's written and directed by Anders Thomas Jensen, the unsung driving force behind so much Scandinavian film and drama. This is about Mads, who's a crack army operative, called back to Copenhagen after his wife dies in a train accident. It's an accident which then two nerdy statisticians believe may be part of a sinister plot to kill off a notorious biker gang criminal. They convince Mads to help them look further into the case. It's a film about revenge of the bullied and the marginalised. It's about chance and certainty. It's about faith and the need to believe in something. And it's always funny and always emotional, even as it veers into craziness and violent, wild chaos, often in the very same scene. It's very accessible, yet totally unique. And as with as many cool action sequences as it has fairy tale moments, it's fair to say that it's my top recommendation at the moment, Riders of Justice. One of those that slipped out in the cinemas over the summer and I missed it in this pandemic year. So we didn't really know what was going on at the cinemas or where they were, where these films are. I'm so happy to have found Riders of Justice. It's on Apple TV, on Curzon and on Sky, among others, right now. I hosted two very interesting Q&As last weekend for the film Hostile, which has seen its first-time director, writer and producer Sunita Gale make the BAFTA longlist for Outstanding Debut, and deservedly so. It's a film highlighting the iniquities and indignities of the hostile environment policy employed now by the Home Office, and which has led to the Windrush scandal, and the film lifts the lid on the often shameful treatment of immigrants and migrant workers here as they battle with these labyrinthine systems seemingly designed to cripple them and to destroy them. 
I was at the Finsbury Park Picture House and at the Rio in Dalston to interview Sunita Gale. And each time we were joined on stage by one of the many participants in the film. So we'll concentrate on Sunita Gale herself here. Uh, Her own family story helped inspire her interest in making this film. I was also impressed by how the film takes us as viewers on a journey deeper into the issues and how we learn what's going on as we roll along. I wondered if that was the same journey for Sunita herself. I I guess to begin with, with any sort of documentary and especially with a debut, it's a learning process and I kind of went out to the streets when the pandemic struck and started to make a film about migrant communities Um, and the seed of the idea came from my heritage and my family's background. I wanted to know what the factory workers were doing, what the food banks were doing, what the taxi drivers were doing. I just, because my parents came from that background, I I was just wanting to learn. And the kind of Daksha was my entry point and the the community community response kitchen of Paresh. And I I guess meeting them was my entry into the narrative around no recourse to public funds. Um, So I didn't even know what that terminology was. I'd never heard of, of it before. And so they were my entry into that, and NRPF led me onto the hostile environment. So it really was an investigative, journalistic approach to learning about a subject matter I knew nothing about, whilst trying to understand how to direct a debut. So it was, it was, uh, it was tough, and it was um, a challenge, uh, to say the least, at times, you know, but highly rewarding and I'm just so grateful to everybody in the film including Akram for the access and um, allowing me to to go into their worlds and allowing me to interview them as part of this process. Sunita traces the roots of this system back to empire and colonialism and to partition between India and Pakistan in 1947. Did it surprise her, I wondered, that the story led her that far back into history? You know, I guess I was kind of seeking to learn and understand why it's happening today. And that, that, that kind of wanting to know why it's happening led me to, what, what, where did this come from? Why now? And, and that took me back to empire and it took me back to our history. And, I, and because of my mom and she's in the film, Savitra, um, and she experienced partition, I thought, well, it's very important to connect her life, her story, and the history of the hostile environment and where that, where that's in what, why that is influenced and the influences come from empire, it comes from slavery, it comes from institutional racism, it comes from colonisation, it comes from all of that. So I wanted to go back and seek to learn. And then when I went through legislation and policy, I realised that there was decades of legislation upon legislation from different parties that built the system that we have today. And that happened post-war, that happened post-empire. So legislation, and I didn't go as far back as the 40s, but this was happening post-war. You know, people were coming here, racist legislation was put in place to stop them and from, from working and limiting their rights. So this was happening in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And that's what's informed this present-day hostile environment. And so... It, it was it was going back to our history, but then tracing that history and relating it to legislation and policy. And then it brought us to the present day of 2016 to 2021 of Brexit. And I, and I know there are big themes to cover, and, and trust me, it would 
really hard at one point to kind of think about how I was going to put it all into this film, but I, I didn't have a choice. I just had to. So I just I put it all in and, and just hope that the flow worked for you guys and that it wasn't too um, you know academic or maybe you know not as smooth to watch. But I'm hoping that it was easy on the eye and easy to process. Um, but yeah, I felt like I needed to put those scenes into the film. Forgive me for being naive, but I thought that Britain and London, where I'm from, and the country that I represent, was always a welcoming haven for refugees, a safe space, a welcoming place. But looking at hostile, I'm not sure that's the case anymore, is it? Well, I think the terminology came around in 1999 under New Labour, and it was really in 2012, Theresa May and David Cameron, that, that terminology was coined and it came to the forefront. I feel that because of the, the decades of legislation and policy, it's becoming more hostile. And like Gargi says, it's becoming a testing ground for more things ahead. And the more that they're getting away with things, the more they're building on that, and the more bills are being put forward and being passed so that it restricts the lives of all of us more. And I think the concerning thing for me as a filmmaker was when I was protesting against the police bill last year, I started th thinking during my filmmaking what happens when the hostile environment starts turning on us. And then I started worrying about my mom because she didn't, she didn't write, she didn't speak English, she had indefinite leave to remain. And I was worried about her you know, being deported, even though she had indefinite leave to remain. That was concerning me. And then I started thinking about our rights. And then we had the police bill. And then I realized that actually the police bill is something that's going to limit the rights of all of us. And so it, it all felt like a testing ground of hostility and more hostility and hostility ahead with now the, the Nationality and Borders Bill. So, yeah, I do feel like, unfortunately, we have hostility in our country. But the hostility doesn't come from us, okay? It comes from a system and a, and a home office and a government. <clears throat> and it's not coming from us. Yeah. Finally... Watching Hostile and hosting these Q&As and talking to the audience members, including Jeremy Corbyn up in Finsbury Park Picture House, it made me wonder who all this hostility is aimed at and who do the politicians think it's for? Who's organising this hostility? Is it a vote winner? What's the point of it all? In whose name is this hostile environment being carried out? Not in mine, surely. Well, I think it's more about the divisiveness of politics. So they use and make these decisions to set us against each other, first of all. Whatever class we're from, racial background, it's like, you know, let's put something in place that's going to cause that. And, and, and that breaks us down as a society and that separates us as opposed to bring us together. So I think the decisions are made by people in power that want to use legislation and policy to, to tear us apart. And I think that's the sad thing about it. No, I didn't meet many people on my journey that agreed that this hostile environment is, you know, the right thing for our country. Even people that really fall to the right. You know, you can see it now in Parliament where MPs are really criticising the Nationality and Borders Bill. You know, they don't want it, even the police bill. So it's like, you know, it's not people on the ground. It is, um, unfortunately, the current arrangement. And hoping by making this film, raising awareness, we can have more conversations about, um, you know, having a review of the current arrangement and the current Home Office and the policies that are associated with them. And Hostile is touring in cinemas now. Well worth attending 
whenever you see there's a Q&A because the debates after it are as illuminating as the film itself and you'll see Sunita's passion and engagement with that. It's an impactful film. Sometimes documentaries aren't just about how beautifully they're put together or the characters or the locations. They are about the point that the documentaries are making. So info and how to book tickets is at hostiledocumentary.com. Another film I'm very late to catch is CODA, C-O-D-A, which stands for Child of Deaf Adults. And it's a real crowd pleaser and a heart warmer, but in the best way, because it actually does crowd please and heart warmer. It does both those things. It stars Amelia Jones as the only hearing girl in a family of deaf Cape Cod fishermen. <laughs> and rather than stay in the family business, she really wants to sing, which of course her family can't hear her do, so it's difficult. Oh, sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. yeah. I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. You're the girl with the deaf family? Yeah. yeah. I just want to tell you right now. And you sing. Interesting. Look, I'm a sucker for a choir movie and any movie where a working class girl has a big audition for a posh establishment, you know, flash dance, save the last dance, that kind of thing. And this one had me clicking along. There's a lovely star making performance from Amelia Jones in it. And it's great to see Marley Maitlin uh, performing again in an awards season movie for the first time since Children of a Lesser God back in 1986. Marley's still the youngest ever Best Actress Oscar winner when she was 21. I liked Coda very much, a sort of little indie film that can go all the way, powered by goodwill and audience love. Although it's not in the cinemas now, you can see it and hear it and listen to it on Apple TV now. So, to my main guest today, and that's Garth Jennings, whose film Son of Rambo is one of my all-time favourite British coming-of-age films, certainly of this century, when I hosted the Candin Film Festival just at the beginning of lockdown, nearly 18 months ago now, more. Um, Garth's was the most popular film, and he won the Candin Film Festival with Son of Rambo, because not everyone had seen that, so catch up with that. But he's also done Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and videos for Pulp and Maloko, uh, and of course Blur. And um, he's been in Paris these last few years, Garth. He used to work just behind where I lived on the canal in Islington. Him and his partner Nick had uh, their production company Hammer and Tongs on a barge on the canal. My flat sort of backed onto it. So I used to see them quite a lot. And then he disappeared because he'd gone to Paris to work with that enormous illumination studio who, who make the Minions. And Garth's been there overseeing these hit animated musicals, Sing. And he's now back with Sing 2. Got the same characters in it, Matthew McGonaghy, Reese Witherspoon, Nick Crawl, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, and now they're off as a troupe to headline in Vegas, joined by reclusive Leonine rock star, voiced by Bono. And very much being chased by the mafia-style boss of the theatre, Mr Crystal, voiced in the clip that we hear by Bobby Cannavale. We cannot let that, 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 that bully steal our hopes and dreams. No, no, no. We are way past singing and dancing now. Look, I, I know this might sound crazy. If we got the theater back, oh, just come one on. night only. Seriously? It's not like we can just sneak in there and put the show on behind Crystal's back. That is exactly what we're going to do. Yes! <gasps> Maybe it's like room service. 
Open up or you're dead, Moon! Okay, it's not room service. You and your dumb friends better not be hiding in there! What are we gonna do? Guys, we just gotta be brave now. Are you saying we should fight these thugs? No, no, they'll beat us to a pulp. <laughs> we're gonna put this show on whether Crystal likes it or not. But first, we're gonna jump out that window. What? I'm beginning to like this guy. It's always great to catch up with Garth and to find him on sparkling form. So I asked him if, working in this giant animated movie, how he could improvise with his actors and get to the comedy he so enjoys. Generally, it's like, I've got the script that I've written, so I'd like that, please. Let's get that, because I know that works. Like, at least we've got, we're, we're a default setting kind yeah. of thing. We've got that. We get that, and then, and then very often, by the time we've got it, the actor's already got another thing you can hear it kind of coming through, bubbling up. And sometimes they start there and then I just have to kind of get them back to the script and then get back to this. But it's all over the place. And I, I love that bit of playing around. Like it doesn't matter who it is. We've always end up finding it very playful. Like it could be the most serious person in real life, but you can really find yourself doing all kinds of stuff, you know, and Even you, you're trying Bono, to Bono take strike, the barriers down. Bono strikes me as a fairly serious person. He's not, he's funny as hell. <laughs> he's really funny. Oh man, uh, really willing to try things. I wonder if that's because he's used to singing in microphones and microphones and projecting and go try it here, try it there, try it low, try to you know, breathe in and out of this. Yeah. He was really, really able to just play with it. Again, part of my job is to make it, make somebody feel comfortable to, be really vulnerable or be really bombastic. And it can feel to a lot of the times to performers that what they're doing is too big, that what they're doing is, you know, over the top, but that's because they're aware of their entire body. Yeah. And I'm only getting the sound. Yes, and it's amazing how often you have to ask for more because actually what you're getting somehow is is less than the the experience of being in the room. Does that I make feel sense? They, they might be even more, you know, when an actor's on camera doing the whole thing, they 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 know they're they're working it. But when they're just doing voice and they're trying to perform but just to the microphone, they might get yeah. a bit self-conscious because they're just in a in a little room. Yes. Uh, yeah. And it might sort of I've speak. had that experience before and sometimes, you know, if they're too self-conscious because it's silent. Yeah. And antiseptic and it's the opposite of being on a set with actors and props and and an atmosphere and things you can bounce off and relate to you've got no cue except this guy from essex going you're in a storm it's you're really frightened you know it's <laughs> so so it's like sometimes i'll have just sound effects playing in the background for some people just like a street sound so they've got like a an environment or or I, or or I'm literally the the environment I'm running around and shouting back at them you know um but who but, does it for you when you're miss crawley just now just comes naturally just comes to <laughs> miss crawley is just just the silliest thing it's just noises with her it's just like, oh you know it's just it's just, just silly stuff do you know who who is miss crawley i mean where where did you get her from is she, is she an old teacher oh, of yours or something well she no she started as I instantly knew when we were making the first film, oh, he should have this sidekick. She should be like this, this kind of really useless but loyal sidekick, like a real liability. And, and, and it became a great thing to write. And it was like, oh, if we have her as a lizard and I wanted to have a glass eye, and I, I, it's, in a way she was a combination. I remember thinking of, of Julie Walters in Acorn Antiques yes. as Mrs. Overall. <laughs> and Miss Trixie from the book Confederacy of Dunces. 
like this idea of this kind of doddery sun visor, you know, um, you kind of love her, but you wouldn't want to, you know, you wouldn't want to have to rely on her, even though you do all the but way even through. Even though you do, but you can't yeah. sack her. So, you know. Yeah, you, you can't, can't sack this woman. No. <laughs> no, she's she's my favorite. I love I love her in the film as well. I love what we can do with her. She's sort of like endlessly, you know, a, the gift that keeps on giving. Well, she yeah. kind of gets you in and out of places she does. as well. You know, she's exactly. Really yeah. Sort of, let's have a gag yeah. from her. It's not funny enough. Well, let's get her to come in. Yeah, Crawley, in. <laughs> Roll your eyeball somewhere. Plus, also. She's probably the only one you can get back for reshoots all the time. Yeah, she's so cheap. <laughs> In fact, I should probably speak to somebody about how cheap she's turned yeah, out to definitely. be, given her prominence. Just saying, lawyers, agents, if you're listening. How was, if there's a third one, let's go, babies. How was the two good doing number two? Was it like, because, you know, you have to go go bigger or something. I mean, I don't know what the... It looks like, having seen it, it looks like you've gone bigger. I would yeah, say. I don't, it's ridiculously... I mean, compared to the first film, is massively big, scaled up in every single but, sense. But when, when you say that it's scaled up, do you know what I mean? It's still drawings. Do you know what I mean? You don't yeah. Have to, do you don't have to? Yeah, but buy like for instance, or... well, like here's the thing: like at the end of Sing One, right? You've got these characters who've just finally, in the last five minutes of the film, sung in front of people for the first time, and they're on a stage that's barely a set. Yeah, there's a bit of rubble and some some lights. And the props-wise, you've got a piano, I think. Yeah, you've got piano and you've got um, a couple of cardboard, bits of cardboard and a few, yeah. Not much going on there theatrically. A lot going on emotionally, but theatrically. At the end of this one, <laughs> there is like, it is a, a space, musical space odyssey with spaceships, holograms, battle scenes, fire. I mean, it's that's just the first song. And then the second, so, you know what I mean? So it just keeps going. So, and, 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 you know, one of the things I didn't know before I made the first film was that when animators animate a character, I didn't know that someone else animates the clothes. A whole other department is on cloth. A whole other department is on hair, you know. So you can imagine you know, there's a scene with an elephant at the end where she's picked up and she has a big white dress on. Yeah. It took three months to generate the movement on that dress. So bigger is bigger. You know, it, bigger it, is bigger. You just think, oh, yeah. right, we'll build a Blade yeah. Runner set or we'll build you know, an enormous yeah. set. But this, it counts in animation, it's bigger. Yeah, but it felt like you've got to do it. You've got, you, A, it would be one, I just wanted to see, we want to see it. I wanted to see them try and pull off a show yeah. that big. Yeah. And that means we have to try and pull off a show that big. So was that, so was we're, that we're, the thing that, that uh, Illumination said to you, right, we're going to do number two, Garth, so you have to make it bigger, or you have to make it Oh, stronger. that's a, a little French accent. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, no, you know what? It was. It had already started before we finished the first one. We'd already talked about. Oh, it's, this is what they should do. This is their, their, their ambitions would be to go the whole way. No, it wasn't about the principle of being bigger. It was just that if you're in the arts, and you know, even if you're a folk singer, you probably dream of one day playing Madison Square Garden. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. often in some art form or another there's some kind of mecca where you want to make it to the top of that would be a great moment for you no matter what your art form is and so it was like well they would have to go there they would have to go to this level and wouldn't it be great to see them trying to do Cirque du Soleil style yeah. wire work or like you know choreographed routines and battle scenes I thought scenes. you'd pitched it like almost as a joke you know like yeah yeah we're going to go do a space opera next time and then they went oh yes good idea you can do this <laughs> Well, I liked, it was kind of the idea that Gunter the pig would be the one to come up with it because it is coming from that place of like, 
you know, let's just do like you know pigs and, and rockets and spaceships and you know it was just like a kid would come up with a story. Yeah, There's no yeah. no concern for how you might make it, yeah. but just wouldn't it be great if we did this? That's what it is. Um, yeah. What's the first film you ever saw in the cinema? Oh, I think it was Grease, but I know the first film I remember seeing at the cinema was Star Wars, and I was five. Where was that? That was in Harlow. I grew up in North Weald in in Essex and then moved up the road when I was about 11 to Epping. But yeah, went to Harlow, saw Star Wars. I can remember where I was sitting. I remember my feet barely getting over the edge of the chair. And I remember Chewbacca and thinking, this is everything. Yeah. You know, just even still, now, like- It's still there, isn't it? In oh yeah. I'm, I don't know if the Harlow Odeon is still there, um, but the, the, the impression from that moment is still there. And what was great was that after that, there just was one after another in you know, moments like that. It was like, here comes E.T., you yeah. know, and, and and now you're like, oh, my, I just kept having these moments as a kid of just cinematic ecstasy. Is and there one that changed your life? I don't know if one did. I just know that they've all been a part of my life. Mm. I know that all of them have been a part of who I am now. And, you know, seeing E.T., that's probably the single most powerful cinematic moment I had. I don't even know why. I can't separate who I am from that Just moment made a of film in it. which they shoot for the moon and you know yeah. go into space. And and just and being aware as well of the audience around me. I remember that. I wasn't so aware of the audience in when I was 5, but at 9 I think I was when ET came out. I remember feeling everybody we were all saying goodbye to him at the end. Yeah. And um I couldn't have put it into those words at that time, but I know that was the profound thing of like, every one of us felt this. Yeah. And we and came out and it felt like the whole world was in love with this guy. Yeah. What a marvelous place to be. And I've always loved that fact that the films I loved seemed to be loved by the entire planet. And I've always wanted to do that. Did, did um, making one change your life? Did Son of Rambo? change your life in that you went, oh, I'm, I can make a film and it can... I think making music videos like I'd already been making short films and I loved making them so much through school and then through art school and then doing the music videos with Dominic at Hammer and Tongs. I loved doing that. So they were sort of, and then when we started to get good at them as well, we weren't just making them, we were, we were making ones that we were really proud of. That was when it was like, okay, I think I could do it. It was a lovely feeling. And, and But Son of Rambo was a perfect distillation of, I'm not saying the film's perfect, I'm saying for me personally, it was a distillation of everything uh, up to that point. Not just the story and the, what was happening in it, but also the way we made it. We made it ourselves with our friends. We made it very quickly. We knew exactly what we were doing. And, you know, in we'd shot it in 40 days. We edited it in six weeks. And five days after the mix, we premiered it at Sundance Film Festival. It was like, go. And, and that along with the story itself was like, encapsulates where we were at that moment. So I think it was like, it was a lovely feeling of, of bringing all of our loves, our, our people we love working with, the art, the, the stories we wanted to tell, everything all coming together and coalescing there. If I could take you back in time and you could visit any set, being of a film being made or a scene for a day or you can go for the six weeks of the film being shot in the world where would you go of my own ones no of anyone oh i'd have to go to a billy wilder set yeah which one yeah oh man 
well, it would be hard to turn down. If I was invited to the set of Some Like Your Heart, I would not turn that down. No, of course. Um, but I would probably, yeah, I'd probably go to that or I'd go to probably, I, no, the one I'd go to would be the apartment. Yes. I would go to the apartment and I'd watch them. I'd watch Shirley and Jack doing their thing. And I'd watch Billy coming in and giving them notes and I'd just get all teary-eyed. Again, he shot that at a you know, rate of knots. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I, I, I love that energy and I love that confidence and I just love that film. I'd love to see him in action. Well, I could meet you at the theater if that's all right. All right, it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's uh, majestic on 44th Street. I'll meet you in the lobby, okay? Yeah, you know, I felt so lousy this morning. I had 101 fever. Now, along comes my promotion and us, 11th row center. You said I should have stayed there. How is your cold? What cold? After the show, we could go out on the town. I've been taken from Arthur Murray. So I see. There's a great little band at El Chico, the village. It's practically around the corner from where you live. Sounds good. How do you know where I live? Oh, I you know who you live with. Sister and brother-in-law. I know when you were born and where. I know all sorts of things about you. How come? A couple of months ago, I looked up the card in the group insurance file. <laughs> I know your height and your weight and your social security number. You had bumps and measles <laughs> and you had your appendix out. Don't mention the appendix to the fellas in the office, okay? I wouldn't want them to get the wrong idea about how you found out. Bye. How would you be working with people that aren't cartoons anymore you know you've been doing the sing thing for so long it's so beautiful and you obviously there's performances with the great actors yeah. that you're working with there but what if they were live action people again i love that i've always loved that i miss it and that's what i'm going to be going back to next of course the 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 irony is that there are more people on an animated film there are on a lot it's been over 500 people i've been working with for the last four years so it's been intensely personal and you're always in small rooms. It's, you, you often hear the, the perception of these films is that they're these giant corporations that are making them sort of kind of like an anonymous, but the reality is it's a very intense, emotional, personal experience. There's a lot of tears and laughter and hugging and reassurance and, and, and we're all going through this together and we're all unsure and we're all you know, pulling each other along. So I feel like I, I haven't missed out on the human experience but what I have missed out on is that catching something in front of a camera, creating something in front of the camera right, you know, with everybody at the same time. Because what you do in animation, you're catching, you're creating pieces yeah. and then putting them together over years. I've missed that energy of the set. I love, I love that. It's no, no, where I'm, I think I'm, I'm the most happiest. And that sounds warm. And if, if, if it's Billy Wilder influence, then I'm looking forward to it too. Well, Garth, yeah. it's been absolutely be brilliant talking to you. Likewise, Jason. It's always lovely to chat to you. Yeah, you too. We could go on for hours. Like, well, uh, let's do it again sometime soon. All right, then. Uh, you're, you're on. Promise you. Lovely Deal. to see you. Love to the family. Yeah, uh, lots of love to you all. To Take care, Jay. Jason, bye. And Sing To is out now everywhere. Okay, two more absolute must-sees to tell you about. 
Memoria, starring Tilda Swinton, in search of a deep sound that haunts her dreams in the jungles and cities of Colombia. She's working with Thai director Apichatpong Virasetakul, weaving splendour on the screen in the most intriguing way. The freshest type of cinema, it's somewhere between art installation, fever dream, zen meditation and full-on freakout. I have to say, I love it. It's very different, but go sit in it, be absorbed in it, ponder it. Memoria, Tilda Swinton and Apichatpong. And then another film which I love, Parallel Mothers by Pedro Almodovar, working with Penelope Cruz for the eighth time and getting from her one of her very finest, certainly most mature performances. Uh, As a woman in Madrid... Yeah, there's apartment envy again, alert on the alert for that. Great kitchen cupboards as ever. Um, and she discovers her baby might not be hers. Like, I know that's a very melodramatic situation, but this is Almodovar. And you'd expect that. But it's kind of new territory, even for him, a prolific filmmaker like him, always finding something new, a new tone uh, and a new theme to explore so it's not typical but here he's investigating Spain's painful DNA the legacy of the death and mass graves from Franco's civil war but he still manages to make it about these women the parallel mothers and it's still top-class stuff surprising emotional it's fantastic one of the year's very finest films parallel mothers so that's enough to be getting on with, isn't it? Parallel Mothers, Memoria, Riders of Justice and Coda. They're my top recommends and I, I really think you should see all four of those things. Don't ever sit around going, oh, what are we going to watch tonight? Because those are your options. You can either stay in or go out uh, and they're there for you. Thanks to my guests, Sunita Gale, and to Garth Jennings, and to Kate Dawkins for putting them all together. I'll leave you on a plangent note from Nitin Sawney, the musician who executive produces the film Hostile and whose music plays throughout that documentary, nowhere more poignantly than over the end credits, with uh, this from his most recent album, Immigrants. This is You Are. See you next time.